Today's gospel reading will be found in Matthew 26, verses 36 to 41. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and then found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not, be fall, in, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, I'm already blessed, aren't you? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's great to be with you this, this Sabbath again. Two weeks in a row, I'm the one that's blessed. <laughs> uh, I was standing with the young people today. You did a wonderful job, and I really uh, enjoyed it. But we're standing ready to get going, and, um, and one individual said, okay, let's go. The other person said, well, it's time to rock. And the other one said, enroll. <laughs> And I thought to myself, well, it's been a while since I've been a youth pastor, but it feels good. <laughs> and I realized that uh, it, nothing could be more truer, because who is our rock? Jesus is our rock. And you know, when you're rolling, you're moving and in motion. And so we're in motion towards Jesus Christ today. And I think that was really appropriate, and I appreciate it. Um, I also appreciated the Sabbath school lesson. I thought that was really, really a good one. And... Um, and it just made me want to hug everybody and make everyone feel um, warm and welcome and a part of this church family this morning. And I hope you're, you're feeling it this morning because it's uh, wonderful. I, um, before I stood up, it was interesting. The whole thing slid around and went off onto the floor. So um, I'm, I'm microphone challenged. But uh, your, your PA people are really, really good. Appreciate it. Um, but what I, what I sensed as I listened to those in the discussion this morning for Sabbath school was that there's a tremendous desire in this family, this church family, to be the kind of influence on each other that Jesus Christ is on them. And that, the, that this experience on Sabbath morning would leave you feeling uh, close to God and, and closer to each other. And I think that's really a good thing, don't you? I praise you for that. That's really exciting. Um, I wanted to share with you that I dropped uh, off with the lady that was distributing the bulletins this morning a, a bit of uh, information, and, um, and she was certainly challenged in trying to catch up and do that at the last moment, and I apologize for, for that. But in your bulletins, you may find one of these colorful type things in there. That is a newsletter that comes from our department at the conference office. I'm director of planned giving and trust services. And what we're trying to do with this newsletter is send it to all the constituencies. Some of you may have gotten it already. Um, if you haven't, I'm hoping I'll get you on the, on the mailing list. And, um, and what this particular newsletter tries to communicate is... Um, all those things will help you plan well for 
the experience that some of us are getting very close to and others have probably entered into, and that's retirement and, and all those kinds of things. And you'll find articles in here and all sorts of different things over the different months. Some will be about health, some things will be about, about um, things that are available to, to you. Some will be uh, estate planning issues and updates on taxes and all that kind of stuff. So some of it may not be Sabbath reading. Tuck it in the back and take it home <laughs> and, and enjoy it. Also, you found in there a yellow slip. And um, this is kind of my, my card that I hope to see back again. And it's my way of hearing from you. If there's any of you that have any questions and issues in regards to your estate planning needs, wills, trusts, um, and all sorts of other things that we have available. Um, and you, you either have done something, you want to update it, or you want to uh, talk about uh, maybe doing something, um, I'm available, just fill this out and hand it to me. Or, as you can see, you could even put it in the mail if you don't get it done quick enough and, and it'll come back to me. We want to be helpful in making your dreams come true. It's our desire that um, when it comes to planning for things that we don't want to have happen um, for your children, uh, for yourself, for your family, when that is done and in place, then your desires will be acted out and done the way you wanted them to be. And so we want to make that available to you, and we look forward to that. I'd like to invite you, if you would to join me for a brief word of prayer and once again invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your willingness always to be close to us. And I know your desire is that we be able to hear from you today. And so as we open your scriptures, I would ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to guide me and to give me your words and to influence me in such a way that you would be heard and not me. May you be glorified today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, take the Bibles that are in the pew in front of you or uh, the one you brought with you and turn with me to the book of Matthew. And I appreciate the, the reading from Matthew this morning. If you were here last ne- week, you'll realize that um, this is kind of picking up from where we were last time. It's, um, the scene is the whole Passover scene. At the beginning of the chapter of 26... Um, It begins to talk about Jesus having finished his talk and then instructing his disciples that uh, it was Passover time, it was his time, and that he was about to be delivered up for crucifixion. And last week we talked about that whole experience of Passover and what it meant and the whole background behind it and why they were celebrating it and how it so aptly applied to what Christ was just going to do and fulfill the prophecies of 1,500 years plus before. 
This week, I'd like you to scan down to verse 7 of chapter 26 and, and follow along as I kind of walk you through this scripture and maybe we'll discover some interesting things. In verse 7, the stage is set for something just right out of a television show today because this couldn't be a better script for a soap opera if, if somebody had been looking for one. All they have to do is turn to this particular one. Jesus has brought the disciples together, and then he says in verse 7, oh, verse 6, let's back up just a little bit. Verse 6, now when Jesus was in Bethany, he sets the setting at the home of Simon the leper. Hmm. <laughs> right away I'm thinking, what's he doing in the house of a person that's a leper? Well, Simon, a little background for you there. Simon was a Pharisee. He was a tremendously educated individual and obviously very religious because he was a Pharisee. And um, he somehow contracted leprosy. The worst of all diseases of that time. It was the, the AIDS of Jesus' era. Um, people weren't sure how it was contracted. It sprung up all over the place and they weren't taking any chances. And when a person became diagnosed as a leper, he was not to be touched, not to be associated with. He was to move out of town, leave his family, house, whatever it took, and isolate himself. And about the only time you'd see a leper is when you'd be traveling and you'd see them there begging for their existence. And Simon had found himself in this, this situation. It must have been really tough because he started out as a religious leader, well-respected, um, doing well at that particular time. Religious leaders did financially well, too. No one did as well as the Levites. Everybody provided for them. And, and yet he fell from all of that into a very sad situation. But Jesus comes along when he's at the very bottom. And he heals him. Simon was a Pharisee who had been a leper, but he'd been healed by Jesus Christ. Now that's an interesting one, isn't it? And now Jesus is in Bethany at Simon's house. Most of the Pharisees were really against Jesus. Uh, Simon, having been healed, was anxious to hear him, and he was always welcome in his home. So we see Simon hosting this gathering of the disciples and Jesus. And then in verse 7, we see a woman come to him, speaking of Jesus, with an alabaster vial. The commentary... Seventh-day Adventist commentary says that the woman with the vial was Mary, the sister of Martha. So evidently they'd heard about Jesus being in Bethany and they'd come too. The interesting thing is Mary, who was the sister of Martha, according to the commentary, was also Mary of Magdalene. Mm, here's where the soap opera begins to start because Mary Magdalene 
was led into sin by Simon the Pharisee. So we've got Simon the host, Jesus the healer, Mary Magdalene, the lady of the past, but now a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and Martha, her sister there. Most situations, this would be a very uncomfortable situation. And yet it had been made all right. It's been made right through the healing power of Jesus Christ. Everybody is okay. The focus is on Jesus. And then as the story begins to progress, um, Mary comes along with an alabaster vial of really costly perfume. And um, she pours it on Jesus' head. It doesn't take long, even though she was being discreet, I'm sure, it doesn't take long for that scent to begin to fill the room. And everybody starts smelling it, and the disciples say, hmm, wow, where's that smell coming from? That really smells good and expensive. And then somebody began mumbling, probably Judas, wow, I bet that costs a lot. <laughs> we could have used that to feed the poor and do something else, you know. And the grumbling went around, and Jesus knew it was happening, and he stopped it right there. It says in verse 8, But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, What is the point of this waste? <coughs> for this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? <laughs> Why are you troubling her? Why are you trying to make her feel bad? And then he said, um, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Jesus also said, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I don't think the disciples really got it. <laughs> I don't think they really understand, stood was understand. They even didn't even understand what was going on. The reality was every step Jesus was taking was bringing him closer to his death. But it was bringing us closer to our salvation. And he knew it. He knew it. Now the interesting thing to me is all the characters that we've spoken up before, Simon, the former leper, and the one who led Mary Magdalene into sin, the very first one, a spiritual leader who didn't act out his spiritualist, spiritualist uh, spiritual life was one of the characters. 
Mary, who was an easy believer <laughs> and a responsive individual, had responded to Simon. It led her down to a road that she felt, you know, ruined by. And then a room full of disciples. It's interesting to me as I look at the scenario, I realize that both Mary and Simon had every reason in the world to really be tuned in to Jesus and to love him because he had fixed what they had ruined. He had restored their lives and given them hope. They were included once again into the experience of God because of Jesus' presence. But then we have the disciples. <laughs> Who are they? They were former fishermen, by and large, one a doctor, others teachers. <laughs> and um, they shared one thing. The text doesn't tell you this, but if you study Jewish history, you'll find that this is very applicable. They had all been individuals like every other Jewish young man hoping to be a teacher and a rabbi. But they hadn't been chosen. And they had fallen back on what the family did and what they were instructed to do. And they'd become less than they should be. Jesus came along and said, follow me and I will teach you. And you'll be rabbis. And so they were included into their dream. And that's why they were Jesus. They were learning. They were studying. And someday they would be. But they weren't at the place yet that Simon nor Mary were at. They hadn't been crushed and they had no future lined up other than what they were achieving. And then the story unfolds. In verse four, uh, 14, he says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest, and he said basically, What are you willing to give me if I turn Jesus over to you? They'd already been plotting. They made a deal. 30 pieces of, of silver. Now Judas was in the same place that Simon was in. Before Jesus healed. Now Judas was in the same place that. that Mary was in after she fell into sin. And then the story doesn't stop, stop there. It goes on and begins to talk about the betrayal and all those experiences. And then in the middle of that, on verse 25, 
when Judas is accused by Jesus and revealed to the rest of the disciples what was going on, he said to Jesus, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. And Jesus simply said, Well, you said it yourself. And, um, and then Jesus moves directly from that into these words. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, do you remember those who were here last week, me saying how complete it was that at every step Jesus has thought out, the Godhead has thought out this plan of redemption, of salvation, and every single thing seems to be in place? Well, when I read this particular verse, I thought to myself, this is the Passover. This is the Passover meal. What were they instructed to eat? They were instructed to eat the lamb, the perfect lamb. Why then did Jesus not select the lamb to represent his body? Hmm. (laughs) I thought about that, and I thought about it, I prayed about it, thought about it, and I thought to myself, you know what? I bet Jesus knew that by the first century after his death, some Christians would be vegetarians. <laughs> and in 2011, a lot of Christians would be vegetarians. And, that, and that's the reality. I have a feeling that he knew that the bread would be a symbol that would be new. It wouldn't be tied to the old symbol, which had been completed at his death. And so he says, take that bread and eat it. And he broke it and gave it to the disciples. Take it, it's my body. And then he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, drink it, all of you. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is to be shed in behalf of many for forgiveness of sins. And the reality is he was trying to set up for people to understand what he was about to enter. And then as you read further down here, you begin to see that there's the whole question of the, desi- the, the denial. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to deny you. Never, 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 never. <laughs> It'll never happen. But it did. And for a reason. And then it goes to Gethsemane, And he asks them, please, I'm going through a tough time. Stick with me. Pray if you would while I pray. And every time he turns around, they're falling asleep. (laughs) I have a feeling that if they'd really grasped what was about to come on, they wouldn't have slept for a week. In fact, I think looking back on it, each of the disciples later on Years later, must have still agonized over the fact that they fell asleep on their Lord and Savior the very night he was to be slain, the the very night before he was to be slain. But I believe that each one of those things that happened to the disciples with the denial 
and falling asleep was for a reason. I believe one of the biggest reasons is the disciples themselves had to see themselves in the same position that Simon and Mary had been. They had to see that they can muff up too. (laughs) They had to see that, that in reality they really need the presence of Jesus Christ. And that when he was gone they had to be aware that he had given them salvation and restored them and forgiven them for the whole issues of the things that they had come up short on too. Loved ones, I don't like to review the mistakes I make in my life. I have a real trouble. When I was a child, I remember being taught to pray and at the day trying to remember all the things I did wrong and, and, and regurgitating them for Jesus and then asking for forgiveness. Once I've done them and feel real bad, I'd love to forget them. The reality is Jesus understands and he understood from the very beginning. If you just bring them to him, you don't have to lay every single one of them out and regurgitate them and rethink of them and and can't decide for sure whether you want forgiveness or not or you want to do it again, you know. You simply need to come to him and say, Man, I came up short big time today. And I need your forgiveness. And what does he say? Forgiven. (laughs) No sooner asked than done. And restores you. The interesting thing is that a little later, after the death and the resurrection, when Jesus comes back and appears to the disciples, he actually restores the respect of the other disciples to Peter. Saying, Peter... Yeah, you made a mistake, but you're forgiven. And now we've got a task to do. <laughs> the interesting thing to me is that sometimes I think we need to recognize that we've done wrong so that we'll understand we need Jesus. If we could do it on ourselves, by ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. And the whole experience of Jesus in this effect is telling us you need to know you need me. I am the way and the salvation. I'm the truth. I'm the light. Come to me. I will forgive. Loved ones today, when we reflect on the death of Jesus Christ, it's not so much about it's not so much about what he did for us, but who he is. And because of who he is, he has done all this for us. We can sit here today, come to Jesus and say, I would like to be yours. And I want to be included in those who would be a part of Jesus Christ. I repent of what I've done. I want to be a part of your family. I want to be in the heavenly kingdom. And he says, good, that's what I want to hear. You're there. You're there. You're included. Good example is just a few days later, the thief on the cross 
Verily I say unto you, today, today, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. To me, that's the greatest, most beautiful story and best news I've ever heard. And when I reflect on that and I think about being with Jesus for eternity, it gives me hope, something to live for and something to share, and a reason to get through the hard times and over the bumps and the ruts of life. Jesus loves me. This I know. I know it. May this find a place of settling in your heart. And may it fill your heart and reside that there until he comes again to take you home to be with him throughout eternity. Amen. Glory be to him who can keep you from falling and bring you safe to his glorious presence, innocent and happy. To God, the only God, who saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord, be the glory, majesty, authority, and power, which he had before time begun, now and forever. Amen.